The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. First of all, hello, Mrs. Cantor. <laughs> second of all, that's my mother. That's her Thank mom. You. Uh, second of all, uh, your daughter was late today. She's very irresponsible. She's tardy. And <laughs> thanks, I'm Bob. telling mama. Oh, thanks, Bob. <laughs> she was three minutes late. <laughs> I can't get late. away with anything now. Embarrassed me in front of the British Podcasters Listener Choice Award <laughs> champions, two time back to back. And then you're late. You're going to be late. I know. Yep. Keep Sar- them waiting, Bob. Saruti, <laughs> Hannah from the Red Handed Podcast. How are you guys? We're doing well. We are. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for being on time and being professionals. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate Jeez. that. Where are you guys recording? That's a, I've been trying to figure out like what's going on back. Is it like a whiteboard with cardboard on uh, it? Yes, sorry. So this is actually um, this is a, a clapper board that the BBC sent us, um, and we just keep it. I could, should have done that for the clap, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, we're just in I our office, too. so we have a we have a cork board and a whiteboard that we never use. No, we just sit with know. our backs to it. Yes, I... our producers next door, and they use theirs more than ours. Do you ever just write stuff on the whiteboard no, so it looks never. like you're doing stuff? We don't even have any whiteboard pens in this room. Actually. <laughs> it's just no, I don't think it's <laughs> literally just for show. Huh? It's, a, it's, just it's just basically a white wall. Yeah, I have when I when I built this, I used to have a very small office slash studio, and now I've got like a big office and the studio, and so I filled the walls with cork boards and whiteboards and everything. And every once in a while, I need them, but most of the time, I don't. And then I feel like when people come into my office, they're like, "Oh, what's Bob up to with the latest case?" And it's just <laughs> empty. So I just write shit on there. I draw maps and lines and yeah, stuff. So when people come in here, they look, they think that I'm like really deep into something. Bob, I've seen a lot worse than maps written on that whiteboard. There's always a dick. There's a dick or two. Yeah, always. there's always. Some I don't draw them. It's that's not. It, it's it's Zach. Every time Zach comes into the office, he finds. Oh yeah, he, throw him under the bus while he can't defend himself. That's right, yep. Zach. Your thoughts? He's not here. Every Wednesday he comes in to record and he hides a dick somewhere in the office, and I have to find it. It's either like in a sticky note stuffed into the whiteboard or on a, the corkboard or written on the Ooh. whiteboard. He's a known dick. About your teenagers so often, Bob, but. <laughs> you and Zach seem to be just right on par. I didn't say I'm drawing dicks. He's drawing well, dicks. And okay. my and my teenagers are no better. They like to <laughs> Bella, my daughter, is we'll talk to you guys in a minute. You guys just sit there, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Busy arguing with Erica. <laughs> Bella loves I have a little bitty whiteboard that is like a to-do list that sits behind me at my desk out there. And she knows that I get on Zoom calls from that computer sometimes. And so she always writes shit oh, no. on that whiteboard. So it's always behind. <laughs> like right now, I think it says Bella is my favorite kid uh, on the whiteboard behind me. Love it. <laughs> How are you guys? I see you're enjoying your afternoon tea, Saruti. I am. It is three o'clock, just after three here. So we very much needed this. Thank you for uh, getting us away from our laptops and getting us to open our mouths and talk. <laughs> yeah. Happy to do it. Um, <laughs> and speaking of which, um, I'd like to consider myself a spooky bitch. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, which uh, for those you who don't know, uh, Sarudi and Hannah <laughs> host the Red Handed podcast, and their listeners are referred to as spooky bitches. You guys have. I need to hear this story because all I've heard is that you guys met at a party and decided to make a podcast. Surely it was not at the party that you uh, met that you hatched the podcast idea. It, it kind of was though. Like it didn't. It took us about six months to get it off the ground but the words why don't we just start one did occur that evening that we met it was kind of like i imagine what meeting the love of your life is like it hasn't happened to me yet (laughs) i don't know but it was this like instant like oh we're going to be friends which like we were both in our like mid-20s mid-20s which it it doesn't really happen making new friends at that age is not like particularly common but it just felt so like and i i think it was just a very like sliding doors moment we were both in Surya just come back from traveling I had two jobs I hated both of them (laughs) um so we were both sort of looking for the next thing um and it was really 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 hard for the first like two three years and now it's super fun and we get to do what we want all the time (laughs) you get yeah you guys just like at a drunken party hatch an idea to create the most popular podcast in the UK like yeah drunk (laughs) Fucking drunk, <laughs> met each other. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Very well, walk, walk me through the night. What was the party for? What happened here? Okay, well, you will be delighted to know that it was actually a Thanksgiving party. Okay. Um, I was living with a very American who I hated. Um, and he <laughs> had it was, and it was also like it was a bullshit apartment. Like I had no money. It was a really like rough area of town really small apartment there were four of us living there Uh um and he had his entire family over from america so like six additional people in this tiny flat so i'm like stepping over people on airbeds to get to my own fucking bedroom Uh furious anyway so but it was thanksgiving (laughs) um and he was like oh let's do a thanksgiving thing and then saru's childhood friend was sleeping on our sofa at the time and he was like oh my friend's back from traveling can she come and I was like, I mean, sure, I guess one more person makes no difference. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you were really in the holiday um, spirit, it sounds like. I was just raging, honestly, Bob. Yeah. Um, and it had to be a vegan Thanksgiving dinner that I had to prepare. And uh. I may add. Uh, yeah. So that didn't help. But then um, in, in walked this magnificent beast. Um, and then I was like, oh, actually, this isn't bad. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I had been away from London for like, a year at that point and I just felt a bit like disconnected from reality like living in hostels and traveling just makes you feel like not a real person anymore Mm -hmm. so because I was back I was like okay I need to do some normal people things I need to you know uh, just get back into the swing of like having normal conversations in London so (laughs) I went to this party fully almost didn't go and yeah ended up meeting Hannah we did get very very drunk and we started talking about the Jean Benet Ramsey case Mm -hmm. as you do with, you know, strangers you've just met. It was when you're drunk, yes. (laughs) Bob knows all about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Six hours of crime con. Trying to stand up straight and people ask. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about John Bonnet Ramsey? (laughs) Yes, exactly. That was pretty much how it started. And um, we, I think also at the time, about six years ago in London, you just didn't often meet people in the UK who were listening to podcasts you mm-hmm. guys are definitely ahead of the curve in the u.s um compared to us here on the other side of the pond 
And I think because I had been traveling, I had discovered the magic of podcasting because I was like, oh my God, you can just download hours and hours and hours of amazing content and listen to it for free Mm -hmm. without the internet and sit on like a 27 hour bus journey across Asia and not drain your phone and not just happen to listen to music the entire time. So I came back kind of like evangelizing and I think (laughs) Hannah was listening to podcasts. So when we met, it just felt like this eureka moment. And all of the shows we were listening to were American true crime podcasts. So we just felt like, where's maybe there's a little space here for two British women to talk about this. And that's how it started. And turns out there was. I imagine this party, <laughs> because you've named like the two things that everyone, that when people are into it, they insist on talking about it and no one wants to hear about it. Like, was this party, <laughs> was there like a group of people in the room like, <laughs> hearing about why the party's vegan and then yeah. <laughs> a group over here talking hearing about true crime podcasts and it was just like exactly. divided yeah um and believe me uh, we were being so graphic that most people wanted to join the veganism circle yeah <laughs> i mean that is when the cbs documentary had just come out yeah, so there yeah. was a lot of talk of panties um there, there was, were also <laughs> children at this party too yes. like it was this was not an adult only situation nice <laughs> i feel like that's the best way to let the children know where they should stand just let them hear and make their own decision exactly <laughs> exactly you got to get them young you got to get them to understand these things young so <laughs> no, it was it was a really really unique moment for us and um basically if you're gonna think of anything to do and you ever promise anybody you're going to do anything just do it yeah. and talk to strangers at parties mm-hmm. and come up with crazy business ideas and then just do it because you never know. I think it's Ernest Hemingway or it might be Mark Twain, but one of them <clears> has a quote that's like, you should always do what you say you're going to do drunk because it will teach you to keep your mouth shut. Um, right. I so, think that's Hemingway. That is Hemingway. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. We didn't. <laughs> we, we, just, we did it anyway. So it, it goes from, oh, you listen to the True Crime Podcast? I listen to the True Crime Podcast. <laughs> yeah. We should start a True Crime Podcast. Absolutely, yeah. And then was there yeah. hugging at the end of the night? Like, I love you. I, I, I'm just trying to picture the moment. I feel. Just, no, it was very much like I think both of us were like, okay, yeah, like, here's my number. I'm never going to see that bitch again. Like when you make friends in the toilet in a club or something. Like mm-hmm. we thought it was going to be like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, but then I can't, I think we sort of did against the odds. <laughs> I think was... I can't remember who picked up the phone first, but we went, uh, we went to a pub where the Cray twins used to hang out a lot called the blind burger. We went there on a Sunday, um, and hatched a plan and then we did it. Well, and the podcast is incredible. I, I it's, it's amazing. Cause you guys, neither of your, of course, this is most people in the podcasting industry, your, back, your backgrounds are not in audio or even in journalism or anything like that. And you're like, you, you have the most, it's the most soothing. It's, it's extremely well produced. It sounds great. And, and you're, it's your two voices. Um, I'll tell you what people tell me and it's supposed to be a compliment, but it feels like an insult is it's amazing to fall asleep to. You yes. No, we do hear that a lot. And I think, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We neither of us had any background in anything. Like you said, like most podcasters though, Bob, like no background in journalism, no background in research, scripting, broadcasting. So it's such a it's such an amazing thing to hear that the sound is good because that was something that we struggled with for very, very many years um, to get it to where it is now. And yeah, I think it's just um I think that's the great thing about podcasting, isn't it? Is that you don't need to have a background in any of this. You can teach yourself so many things. The barriers to entry are so low. And if you just have 
a really good concept of what your content's going to be and you just work really, really hard, it can work. Right. And if you're really lucky as well. Yes, it, really can, it can also not work. I'm really lucky. That happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yours worked for sure. Because your background, Trudy, is in uh, economics, right? Yes, I did. I'm just my... checking Erica's work here. This is... <laughs> <laughs> yes, MSc in economics, much to my um, current me's boredom. <laughs> it happened. I did it. I thought I would go into the world of finance. Did that for a bit. Absolutely hated it. Then went on to produce like business conferences for five years, which was a lot more fun than it sounds. Yeah, it sounds pretty and, barfy. Um, yeah, no, it, it, was, <laughs> it was actually pretty good. I describe it as like, uh, conference production is kind of like an everyday MBA. And actually now I find myself just like regurgitating all the things my bosses drilled into me over the six years mm -hmm. I did it where I'm just like, mm -hmm. what lever are we pulling to grow this business? Um, much to everybody else <laughs> wanting to roll their eyes at me. But I am pretty sure it works. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, completely random, completely random. Well, you're, you're full-time podcasters now, both of you. And I feel like you really bailed out like the world needs you right now, Saruti. The e the economics in this country, in this world right now. What Bob's are, trying to say is that Bob needs you right falling now. Up, falling, <laughs> <laughs> I have a little background in economics too, and I was the one in January saying the sky is falling. The sky. And guess what, motherfuckers? The sky is falling. <laughs> it is, and it's going to continue to fall, yep. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Hannah, uh, you wanted to be an actor, um, mm -hmm. ended up being a teacher, which is yeah. Interesting. I wanted to be a fireman. I ended up being a podcaster. How did that happen year. for you? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I thought I was going to be an actor and then uh, I did that for a bit. And then one of my mentors was like, your grades are too good. Go to university and do an academic degree and come back to it later if you still want to. Mm -hmm. So I went and did um, an anthropology degree, which... I never, ever thought I'd use, but actually doing a true crime podcast, I probably use it more than any other yeah. anthropology graduate ever. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, give me any chance to talk about shamanism, I will do it. Um, the, <laughs> so then, but at some point in university, I just lost all of my confidence as a performer. Um, so I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore, which sort of left a bit of a gap. So I moved to Costa Rica to teach English as a foreign language. Um that didn't go so well. And then I moved to Korea because that was where you could make the most money without with doing the least amount of work right um and it's like well known for. on the on the foreign language teacher circuit that korea was the place to go so i did that for a year um knowing that i would come back to london needing a lot of money to set myself back up here mm -hmm. because i said better um so i did that i just went out there for the money saved the money came back and then i think i'd been back for i'd probably been back for about eight months and then i met you yeah. And then I had just started a job. Yeah. We met. And then two weeks later, I started an incredibly demanding job where I used to basically come to the US every month for like a week. So Hannah and I started this podcast. And then we were having to work in a situation where I would basically be away so often. And we had immediately, at the time, felt like a stupid decision. Now it definitely was the right decision. Started a weekly show <laughs> while we both had full time jobs. And we were like, what the hell? This is so much work. And <laughs> I think it's just you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how long research takes. Right. You don't know how long edit takes. And then we're basically having to work in the situation where I would take a microphone in my suitcase on these work trips. And then Hannah and I would set everything up, like me in my hotel room in like Texas, Hannah back here in London, turn off all the aircon in this sweltering room I was sat in, get underneath the duvet. And it would be like five o'clock 
US time and Hannah would be here at, like in the morning, quickly record, close my laptop, go downstairs and do my job and Hannah close her laptop and then go to work. It was just like, we always describe it now as like, it was like being in labor for two and a half years. Right. <laughs> like agonizing pain. And then we both got to go full time, thankfully, in 2019, um, right before COVID hit. And we were like, no, now we can have like lives again. We can go out at the right. weekend. <laughs> we're like, oh, right, we're going to have a global catastrophe. But right. because we always recorded separately, when COVID happened, we never skipped a beat. No, we because never. We always separately yeah. and I think we were one of the very few shows that didn't have to recalibrate at all we could just keep mm-hmm. going where we'd always done it yeah. yeah and um yeah so it kind of just it all just sort of worked itself out and um now we're really lucky and we're basically doing red-handed but we essentially do three weekly shows we have red-handed which is true crime we have shorthand which is kind of like more miscellaneous it's just kind of the random topics that we're interested in and then we have under the duvet which is obviously fondly named from our origin story right. <laughs> and um on there, it's kind of like the like an after show party. We just talk about whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's going on in the mm-hmm. world, um, current affairs, and uh, yeah, we're we're very lucky that we also have a team of four other people that work with us now that make this absolutely possible. That's awesome, and I I relate so much to the recording in the ho- literally recording in hotels in Texas because I worked for five years on cases in Texas, and it's it's so hard to get the sound right. It's always one hundred and twenty <laughs> degrees. You have to yeah. turn the loud antique air conditioner off and then try to hang blankets and <laughs> yeah. towels and shit up so that it sounds oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a whole, I have a, uh, like a Pelican case that is like a whole mobile studio that when I travel with that I set up and it's like a boom arm. It's like this mic and a boom arm and everything <laughs> that I'd set up when I, when I travel. Uh, it's an absolute so nightmare. Uh, so much empathy for that. And I think actually one of the amazing things was even when we met you, Bob, like um, obviously the three of us connected when we went to um, Obsess Fest um, in Columbus this year. Mm-hmm. And Hannah and I hear there isn't a huge podcasting community. So even that kind of like shared, oh, do you remember when you used to have to hide under a duvet or lock yourself in this room and like right. cover the like sponges? We just don't get to have that conversation with anybody because there's just not really anyone here to talk about that with. So when we came to Columbus and like, firstly, how welcoming everyone was, because mm-hmm. we were a little bit intimidated because we were like, everyone here already knows everybody else because they've all hung out before. Uh-huh. We're going to be like the random token British girls that are going to turn up and no one's going to talk about <laughs> But you guys were so welcoming. And as a community like of podcasters to just be able to talk about your ups and downs and especially people like us who started many years ago right. and have gone through the the journey um it was just such a revelation for us so thank you it was so good and we'll definitely be there again next year yeah speaking of which and it was it was that, that was you know one of the best parts of obsessed fest is i did get to meet some new people there was like a, a group of people that we've all gone to crime con over the years that have all like i'm done i've said on both of my shows like i'm done with crime con they can go fuck themselves um but speaking of obsessed fest we just got the announcement this week when we're recording this that we have a date and we have a location for next year. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. Uh, where we can all uh, uh, shut the air conditioners off in our room and record. A podcast <laughs> yeah. And it's October 20th or 22nd, something like that, whatever. I that think 22nd. Can... I think. Yeah, I think 22nd. Yeah. Are you guys coming? Yeah, yeah man. definitely. 100%. And by the time <laughs> this, this will drop after December 2nd, right, Erica? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Yeah, I think it's December 6th is the air date yeah so tickets go on sale december 2nd so if you haven't got your tickets for obsessed fest and they're not sold out 
Go get them right now at obsessfest.com. Hopefully they don't sell. Well, I mean, I want it to sell out quick, but I also want you people listening. I want you all to go tell Patrick that it was because <laughs> Bob mentioned it on his show that uh, you bought your ticket to Obsessed Fest. Um, just because I like I like it when Patrick tells me he loves me. And he won't do it unless you buy tickets <laughs> to come to Obsessed Fest. Um, but yeah, get your, it, it's, it's the most amazing conference. It was great, like... Meeting you guys, it was a very diverse, wide group of of, of podcasters that were there. Not the not the same old crowd. Like I'm so sick of hanging out with the goddamn captain. I mean that guy. <laughs> 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 he's he's uh he's over there with you guys right now. He's actually been in London since yes? uh, since uh, the week before the week of Obsessed Fest. Yeah, he's oh, over there somewhere. Oh, okay. Again, we like. No, nobody. We just hide in this office, not writing on our whiteboard and looking at our laptop, <laughs> never speaking to anybody. So um, this year has been like our first foray into like forging podcast friends. So we actually have no idea where anyone is or what anyone's doing. Um, but that's interesting. Don't worry, guys. I'm right there with you. I'm kind of I f- I'm I feel like I'm in that same boat where like there's this big like the the popular group, the popular kids and their true crime click and like yeah. sort of just kind of wedging my way into that group. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you to Obsessed Fest next year. I'm going to talk to Patrick. I'm so excited. I know you guys You're are running it in right now that I couldn't go. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to bring you with and we'll do a, a live taping a true crime binge or something <laughs> okay. and put you Sounds on good. uh put you into the uh into the mix with all the cool people. Thrust like me Saru into it, yeah. Hannah. Throw me into it, yes. Hey, have you ever, have you guys in your in your time running around London ever run into Idris Elba in a bar? <laughs> well, no, but we at the podcast awards this summer we were presenting an award, um, and the people who were presenting the award before us was Idris Elba and his wife. So oh. we felt awful for the poor girl who got the award off us. Right. <laughs> from Alba, and I was like, I'm wow. so sorry. I look a little bit like a knockoff Ruth Wilson. That will have to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So no, we've never, we've never met him in the wild, but we did share a stage one. I, I met him in a bar in Notting Hill. He wanted to take a picture with me. I told him he had to wait in line. No big deal. Oh, I did hear this yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> And you asked him who he was. My wife almost divorced me. (laughs) She was so mad. I had no clue who he was. (laughs) He was like, this guy wants, I'm like, hey man, I shook his hand. Great to meet you. But man, these other people are already waiting for me. So after I take pictures with them. No, I like it. I like it. You tell him, you can't just be skipping cues. Yeah. That's hilarious. (laughs) Screw you, Idris. Yeah, check his ego. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So, so you guys have been doing the podcast since 2017, and you've started touring. Like, like I'm jealous of that. I love being in front of a live audience, and I've just never had the the gumption to like go through all the steps to put together like live shows unless somebody else does it for me. Um, and I've been like following you guys on like in your Instagram, and like you guys are like selling out theaters doing live shows throughout the UK. What's that like? Amazing. Uh, literally a dream come true. Yeah. I mean, we we are very lucky that we we're with United, so they do organize the tours for us and they are like, you guys should be touring as much as you can. And we are just so lucky and so privileged and so humble to be able to do it. Yeah. So this year we um did our second, third, third, third UK tour. Um and it was uh, our first time into mainland Europe, which was exciting. So we did Helsinki, Stockholm, Oslo, and it was just crazy because neither of us had ever been to that part of the world before. 
Um, and to go to a city you've never been to that is also not an English speaking country and then turn up and have a room full of people that are there to watch a live show by you is honestly up there and one of the most surreal experiences we've ever had. And uh, yeah, it was incredible. We just love touring. We got to go to Ireland for the first time because once COVID started, it was really hard to like be able to tour, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they had much harsher restrictions yeah, in Ireland than we did here as absolutely. well. Absolutely. And then um, to to sort of finish up our sort of growth trajectory because I remember when Hannah and I first started the show a week before our first ever show where we played to like a few hundred people and um, we went to go watch last podcast on the left who had come to the UK and we're doing a show at Manchester Albert Hall which is like a thousand person venue and we went and did that show and we were like looked at each other at the end and we were like maybe one day and that was now and it yeah. was incredible because we played the exact same venue we sold it out and then we got to come to London and do the Palladium, which is just like the most iconic venue. Yeah. Absolutely. Like when Madonna's beautiful. in London, she plays the Palladium. Yeah. Like it's an enormous. It's it was um, beautiful. Kind of a, kind and of like a our agent came. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> it was nuts. It was completely nuts. And yeah, we just thought we never ever thought any of that would happen. And yeah, to be able to do it and to send a send a few thousand people home happy every night felt yeah. like a real win. And we've also always felt that like, I mean coming from me coming from a theater background like I've always known how to make shows like that was right. never something that they were worried about and I think we always felt right from the beginning is that if people are going to leave their house and pay 40 quid for a ticket it has to be something other than what they can listen to at home for free on mm-hmm. their own. so mm-hmm. right from the offset we knew that our live shows had to be something other than the podcast and we've got much better at it as the as the years have gone on so it is like a an, an entire experience itself it's not um it's not us talking into mics like it is on the on the show. It's a yeah, it's a performance. Yeah, and, and you guys have, have perfected that, and so ha- you know that that's um, Patrick and Jillian. It's the same thing with the TCO yeah, yeah, totally live right. shows. Absolutely, very good. absolutely. And that's one thing I've always struggled with, like Truth and Justice, is like what would because you know my audience has been like, why don't you do a live? Because you know that's getting to be a thing where people are doing these. I'm like, what am I? I sit in front of my desk and research for for forty hours in a week, and then I spend another twenty hours writing a script, and then I sit down and read it and fuck up every other word, and, and have to look like like that's what live show is that? So I think I'm gonna. I think, when I, we saw you at um, True Crime Obs- at, at sorry at Obsessed Fest, and you were on stage, and we played like Jeopardy together, for yeah. example, like I think you are so charismatic and you are so funny and you're really good in front of a crowd. And one of the questions we've asked is firstly doing it alone. I I can imagine that would be more Mm. difficult. I think having another person to play Mm -hmm. off is very good, but then maybe you do it with guests. And also, for example, like we uh, were one, we're talking to our agents about how say Phoebe, Phoebe judge does it because Mm -hmm. with criminal, it is a bit more straight down the line. And he was like, it's Phoebe's charisma. That's what delivers the show. So mm-hmm. I think you should absolutely do it. I think you're a natural. I think your audience are asking for it. I think you'd love it. Um, I think maybe it's just how do you get somebody else there? Because I, I I don't think I would want to do it alone. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely well, think there's something there. I love it. I, I've always liked being in front of an audience because I have a huge ego. Um, <laughs> I was just gonna say, you guys, I was like, I know what you were gonna say. Praise, yeah. <laughs> Bob's it's head true, Again, we never meet podcasters, <laughs> and then the, thump, the few that we do meet here, 
not the most charismatic people. I would like to distance myself from that comment. So yeah, I think keeping everyone else there was was pretty cool. I did a speaking tour in the UK um, back in 2018. I think it was. Um, I had uh, it was on the West Memphis Three case. Um, The oh, they're going to be upset with me. That Just Killing Time is the organization that 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 put it out. They do like a subscription box. And they organized the tour. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I did. Um, I did four. I did London, Manchester, Newcastle, and Edinburgh. Um, we did shows there, and I found out after the first show that there definitely is in the UK a whole different, like, uh, like I really like to play off of the audience, and like the first show, like I would say things that were either very emotional or I thought were funny. Or what, and it was just like deadpan. The whole and, and Kayla, the one running the running the program, was like, "Yeah, the you people in the UK don't like when they go to a show, they're going to sit there and watch the show." So, <laughs> so I literally started the next three when I started the show. I'm like, "Listen, I have an ego. I need you guys to clap and laugh and and <laughs> yell and shout." And, and so I, I I taught them how to be my audience so that I could be more comfortable on stage <laughs> for the rest of the time. I think definitely going to another country and trying it, tr- trying like mm. to do that is very difficult because we've always done the UK. We went into Europe this time, like I said, but we, you know, we understand the humor that they're looking for from us and right. they get rowdy, they get drunk, they're really there for it. But we are definitely interested to see how our show translates when we come to the u.s yeah right now we're like okay we've got loads of listeners there but we're like we're gonna have to wait and see (laughs) so i think that's gonna be a show that the that develops on the road yeah Yeah. (laughs) well they all do don't they like when you do i mean yeah yeah. definitely but i think when you're doing i mean i suppose state to state is gonna is gonna be different i definitely felt while we were doing the european tour like you could really feel the difference between Dublin on a Friday night and Oslo on a Wednesday. I mean, like it's just a completely different. (laughs) Oh, here, um, like if you're doing a show in in Texas compared to L.A. compared to Mm -hmm. New York, are going to be all very different crowds. Uh, never done that, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You're on your own. <laughs> you know what I really enjoyed doing? I, as Patrick let me do my my hour comedy set when I was there, and I had a blast doing that. So I've been I've been playing with the idea of doing a tour, doing that followed by like a true crime Q and A afterwards. Um, but it's interesting. You want know, to be a unique crowd to get in. Like, okay, we're going to sit down for an hour of dick jokes, and then we're going to talk <laughs> some true crime afterwards. They're there. That audience is there because that's the audience 100%. that we are um, currently leveraging. <laughs> I was just saying, I think you need to flip the order. You got to do the do the serious Q&A, get all the tears out, make right. everybody feel very vulnerable. And then you just hit then them come with the with dick, the dick jokes. jokes. Come with, yep. come in mm-hmm. strong with the dick jokes. Hit them hard. Yep. Um, <laughs> so let so, um, the, as you said, on your feed and the red handed feed, you have three different shows you have. Obviously, the, the normal red-handed episodes. You have the shorthand episodes, and then you got the other ones under the duvet. Um, mm-hmm. That are now are those all? I saw the the shorthanded ones. Are the under the duvet episodes under the on duvet there? Patreon. That's Patreon. Patreon. That's what yeah. I thought. Okay. Um, so there's there's plenty of contact content there. You guys, you have interesting content because you you are very funny, both of you. But also, you're like your show is very well researched. Like when you're talking about a case, it, it's almost. It would almost surprise you, especially hearing this, that you guys are both both very charismatic and funny. But then you're also like when it's time to get serious and talk about a case, 
that's exactly what you do. Thank you. Thank you. I think, yeah, it's just that we are incredibly passionate about the cases that we pick. You know, they're not accidental. They're not being picked by anybody else. They're cases that we have chosen for a particular reason. And we do spend so long. I mean, you don't need us to tell you this, but if you're going to expose yourself in the true crime world, Mm -hmm. This is an incredibly discerning audience who know their shit. So if you're going to go up there and get things wrong, you are going to get destroyed. Your reputation will be ruined and then no one's going to be listening to your podcast. Uh, Not to sound incredibly dramatic, but I think that's probably quite accurate. So we do take the research incredibly seriously. Um, At the moment, uh, we're working on two separate cases, hence all the silent, furious typing before we jumped on this call with you. And, you know, for example, I'm working on the Scott Peterson case right now, and it is just so many details you have to understand. Because Mm -hmm. if you get things wrong, people are going to use that to um, knock your credibility and the argument that you're making. So we do take that really seriously. But then we also think that the brand that we're meant to have, which, again, wasn't purposeful, it kind of developed completely by accident, is meant to feel like you're just down the pub with your incredibly intense friend who just happens to know a lot about a different case every single week but they're still fun she's still fun and I suppose like (laughs) when we first started we never really understood why being charismatic and funny had to be separate from being intelligent and well-researched we never understood why those two things couldn't be sure in one show Mm -hmm. um but it I did sort of feel a bit like that when we first started especially in the UK the true crime landscape was very divided into like chatty conversational show and I'm a man reading you a story and like we didn't really (laughs) understand why they had to be so separate and so yeah very little about the first two years of Red Handed was intentional it all just sort of happened by accident um but that's where we've ended up and I'm really proud of it yeah Yeah. I think people often look for a niche don't they especially in such a crowded market space Mm -hmm. where they're like oh we're only going to talk about British crimes or we're only going to talk about this or that and I think that's a very easy intentional way to start I don't know if it does you any favors because I don't think people are that specific in their interests in true crime I I think our niche came um from something completely unintentional we were like if we're going to do this, the point of the podcast was always to be a creative outlet for both of us. Mm -hmm. The point of it was meant to be fun. And also we take turns researching. So we don't, um, so for example, I'm working on Scott Peterson and Hannah's working on Joyce McKinney, which is another case that we're going to do this year. And we will talk to each other about the cases, of course, but one person knows that story inside out. They'll write the script and then we'll share the story when we're, when we're recording it. But it's meant to be almost um, it's meant to be almost going into it blind with each other because right. that way you get the real voices audience, you get the natural conversation, you get the natural reactions to everything. And I think that's kind of what just works. And long may it continue to work. I don't know what it is that works, but long may it continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you guys got to where you're at very naturally and organically. And I think that's what makes a good podcast. There are so many yeah. – that, yes. <laughs> that 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 try to identify what the niche is that they're looking for and they try to be something they're not to get into that niche and you guys just started doing the show and then naturally it just evolved into what a real conversation between the two of you would be and and uh, you you struck lightning struck lightning you it's lightning and it's <laughs> lightning it's, struck. Uh, i'm a writer i write for a living um let me think of a better <laughs> struck gold struck gold maybe yeah struck gold there it is uh it's podcast gold that's what it is podcast gold, exactly. 
Um, so, so we're gonna talk about this case right now, and this is a case that you guys. Um, uh, it's in the news, obviously, right now. You guys just released a two-part series on the case that'll be by the time people listen to this, it'll be about two or three weeks ago uh, on your feed. And uh, this is why I started to say before we started recording, Erica, is like I can't believe that you did this much research into this case. <laughs> I know all of this already. Come I on. know, but I'm never going to assume, Bob. I'd much rather do too much work than not enough. So Right. And that's why you were late. Erica was late. Mrs. Cantor, yeah, your daughter right? was late. Yep. No. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I wrote those notes on last week. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about the Delphi case, uh, which is one that is – is. so speaking of niche, like, like I work in obviously wrongful convictions on, on truth and justice. And there are definitely times, like today, as we're recording this, right now, there's a hearing yeah. on this case. And this this, this is about two hours for me. And I thought, I literally, I saw that yesterday and my initial reaction was, I'm driving down there. Like, I want to go be there for that hearing. I'm like, oh, I've got, you know, work to do. So I have to be, <laughs> I have to be here. But sometimes it's a little frustrating that it's like, I would love to just dive into this case, but it's not, it's not on brand for my show or anything like that. But this case drives me absolutely fucking insane. Um, yep. So I, I'll let you guys kind of break down the basics of the case and then let's dig. I want to hear what you think. I want to dig into it. Wow. Okay. So we just did release a two-parter on this. I'm going to have to open up my script just to remind myself of some of the details of this because as soon as you finish it, you start working on the next right. case and everything mm-hmm. goes out of your head, right? You know the feeling. Mm-hmm. So, See, Bob, that's why I wrote notes. <laughs> <laughs> we recorded the first episode that we released on Delphi before the arrest was made. Right. So it all happened super quickly. Um, and everything had to get rejigged in for episode two. But it's sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you have the same thing, Bob, but quite often, more often than we can explain, we'll release an episode on a case and either that week or the week after something will happen in that case. And this is just another instance of that. Yeah, this was pretty frantic. So yeah, like Hannah said, we were about to go on tour and I thought, okay, we if we do a two-parter, it'll fill up two weeks. Right. And Two-parter is more work, but then it's kind of, you can sort of use your momentum to push you through and get two episodes done easier than doing two episodes from scratch. So I was like, I'm going to do Delphi. It's a really fascinating case, but it's almost a cold case. This hasn't been solved. Nothing's happened in six years. Nothing is going to happen now. So let's just do Delphi. And, right. and she bang. listened to the the Down the Hill podcast on the plane. Yes. So when we were in the cab from the airport to the hotel in Columbus, she was like, and then there's this guy, right? And he and they've got him all on video. And I'm like so jet lagged and tired. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, that sounds amazing. Need a little need so, a no. little nap. But yeah, no, yeah. so I work in, in wrongful conviction. So no, it takes years for things to happen for me. So yes. that, that rarely happens to me that <laughs> oh, they got exonerated while I was <laughs> <laughs> so no this one did hit us hard and actually then it was like oh okay i have already written down the structure for part two um i already have like a pretty good theory of what we're going to present um uh, and i feel like pretty confident with what's going on then cut to um a few days after we released that episode and I, my plan is just to write part two a bit when we're on the road and just uh-huh. clean it up and then it's they've arrested somebody and it was like richard allen and i was like 
who the fuck is that Richard? Is not Hammond? the guy I said in my theory. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, thankfully, we didn't go to any theories whatsoever in part yeah. one. It was literally just the facts. And it was like, oh, right. So everything I've written for part two kind of feels like it now doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So then um, we finished the tour in Edinburgh and we were planning on staying for a couple of days after just to like have a little city break and relax. And we were like, okay, we have to cancel the Airbnb and we have to change the train to tomorrow morning because we need to go home because we need yeah. to write I need to write Delphi part two. And like <laughs> on the train, five and a half hour, hour train, five and a half hour train down from Edinburgh to London, just watching the press conference that we were all waiting for right. um, where we were waiting for them to say mm-hmm. why they had arrested yeah. Richard Allen. So yeah, basically from the beginning, a very rough uh, overview of this massive, massive case was of course that on um, the 13th of February, 2017, um, two best friends, uh, Abby Williams and Liberty German had gone on a hike in um, Indiana. They were in a very, very small town of Delphi, which I believe has like 3000 residents, absolutely Mm -hmm. tiny. And um, they'd gone, they'd been dropped off by Kelsey, who's um, Libby's older sister at a sort of historic walking trail about a mile outside of town. And they're not a part of the walking trail, but there does exist there an abandoned wooden railway bridge, which obviously the kids are drawn to like, but I can't stop thinking of lightning in a bottle. That's not what it was. (laughs) (laughs) They were struck by lightning. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, temptation overcomes them. The girls get onto the bridge. And we know that because um, at the time, Libby posted two pictures to her Snapchat. One of them was just of the bridge and one of them was of Abby on the bridge. Um, I don't know if I said how old they were, but um, Abby was 13 and Libby was 14. So Mm -hmm. very young. Then they're meant to be picked up at about 3.30 that afternoon. So not long after they got dropped off. I think it was about maximum two hours they would have been there. And when Libby's dad gets there to pick them up, the girls are nowhere to be found. So then obviously panic ensues because it is February in Indiana. I haven't been to Indiana in February, but I understand it gets pretty bloody cold. So the police are out. Everybody's looking for them and there's nothing doing. They can't find them. So the next day they restart the search. And at about midday, um, one of the searchers did find a black Nike sneaker underneath the bridge. Um, and so when they look in that area, they do find Libby and Abby. And um, we don't know much about the actual murder scene. We don't know right. much about what they actually found. What we do know is that people said that as soon as you saw them, you knew it was a homicide. There mm-hmm. was no there was no doubt that it was a homicide. Um, so the girls were found uh, in the woods, but sort of nearish to the river. Um, so obviously it was immediately obvious they'd found these two girls, panic ensues. Um, but the police also found one interesting piece of evidence. They found Libby's phone not far from the girls' bodies. So when they looked at that phone on there, they found quite a lot of strange evidence, a lot of which we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is that there was a 43 second video on that phone that had been shot by Libby when their murderer was coming towards them, was there on the scene. Um, Now, the police to this day have only released about two seconds, maybe not even two seconds, maybe a second and a half, two seconds of that tape. We don't know exactly what's on it, but in the bit that we have seen, you see a man, um, white man, probably, you know, middle, middling, like 50-ish years old, uh, walking down the Monon High Bridge, but he's got his face down because um, the 
many of the wooden spokes along the railway bridge are rotted through or missing. So it is an incredibly tricky bridge to walk across. So he's got his face down. You never get a clear glimpse of it. Um, but the girls are filming him for some reason. And I think he was about 65 feet away from them at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and then in a separate part, because I don't think that the video and the audio that have been released line up, yeah, but in either. a separate part, no, they released the audio. And again, it is just four words ultimately. And what you hear is guys down the hill, which honestly are words that have haunted me since I started researching that case um, all those months ago, mm-hmm. because it is just absolutely harrowing the way it's said. It's so casual. It's so confident. It screams of a man who has no concerns about what he is doing, which is abducting in broad daylight two girls. And one of the things we said in our episode is this has to be a man who is supremely confident. This has to be a man who has done this before. Firstly, you don't wake up at the age of 40 or 50 or however old he is and decide to go and abduct two girls in broad daylight. That It seems very, very shocking if that is the case. And even if it is the case, um, the confidence that he has is, is jarring almost to listen to. The fact that he approaches them, he's not covering his face. That to me tells me he had no intention of them ever getting away. Um, right. But you don't know what happens. The police have said that they know a lot about what happened before. They know a lot about what happened after, but they don't know what a lot about what happened in the middle bit. Um, so that's kind of what we knew. There was a lot of confusion with the police releasing one sketch at the start initially that looked like kind of what we've described, a man who's sort of middle-aged, um, slightly heavyset, bit scruffy looking, kind of seems to fit the bill. Then years later, because yes, this obviously went on for a long time, they released a second sketch, which did confuse everybody because it looked like a completely different person. In our episode, I think we said it looked kind of like Justin Timberlake during his NSYNC (laughs) years with a curly perm. (laughs) And it was just baffling. And really, it seemed like the leads were running dry. Something interesting that did turn up much later, much more recently, actually, I think it was like in 2020. 2020 2021 that it came out to the public but it was the fact that um there had been an online catfish profile and this one really sort of threw everybody for a loop particularly when they found out that the police had searched the home of this person not long after the girls had gone missing, like days after the girls had gone missing. And so they had searched his house. They had found a lot of child sexual abuse images in this person's house. And they had found that this person was connected to a fake online profile called Anthony Schotts, who had been speaking to various underage girls in the area um, for for quite a while. And uh, one of those people just so happened to be Libby German. That was mind-blowing. When I saw that YouTube video that um, the Indiana State Police released where they were asking for information from anyone who had spoken to the Anthony Schultz profile, I know they say it at the start, but I was still like, but this isn't confirmation that this is linked to Abby and Libby. And then they give the Abby and Libby tip line and my jaw hit the floor. It Mm. was unbelievable. So that felt like the leading theory of what had possibly happened here, especially when you found out that it seemed that multiple people, all of whom were definitely interested in young girls had access to the Anthony Schultz profile. It felt like it could have been any number of these predators who were in the area. And one of the things people were saying is, well, you know, and maybe it was just a coincidence. And yes, but one of the things I still find hard to let go, even though the person who's been arrested, Richard Allen, doesn't seemingly seem to have any link as far as we know yet to this group, 
is why if these people were never intending to meet any of the underage girls they were talking to via the Anthony Schatz profile, were they almost exclusively almost exclusively talking to girls from the area? Mm-hmm. If you are just talking to girls in order to get from them videos and images of um, you know, self-generated sexual, sexually explicit images, you could have gone to children anywhere in the world. Why are they all locals? So that right. seemed odd. So anyway. That case was standing separately. Everybody seemed to think this is it. This is the guy. Then he was arrested on completely separate charges on like 30 felony counts, including things like child sexual exploitation, etc. And he was being held in Miami County Jail. So a separate jurisdiction to the one that was investigating Abby and Libby. Then what happened is they took him out of prison, um, the Indiana State Police. They took him into their custody, um, which my understanding is that's a very difficult thing to do. They did that. They mm-hmm. took him to what seemed like a military base or somewhere very secret to interview him. Uh, again, why didn't they just interview him where he was? I don't know. And then very soon after, they're back in Delphi searching the Richard river. Allen's home and are uh, searching the river. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Wabash River. And then soon after that, they make their first first arrest that they've made in six years on this case. Now, I'm not saying the two of them are connected. Um, a lot of people are because since then, the man who was arrested, um, whose name is Keegan Klein, everybody sort of knows that, who knows this case, and he has been arrested for some pretty grotesque <laughs> things. Um, he People are saying he's had charges dropped against him now. So that must be a connection. He must have made a plea. He must have said, I'll give you Richard Allen, drop these charges. I don't know. That feels like a big jump to make. Um, in in the cases that he was being charged with, it kind of feels natural that some of those charges would be dropped. So I'm not totally convinced yet that they are connected. And one of the arguments we made in our case, because people say maybe he wasn't acting alone, maybe Richard Allen and Keegan Klein were working together. My argument would be, Richard Allen, if he did do this, and we don't know, you know, he is innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. He hasn't even stood trial yet. But if he is or if somebody else is, that person has gone undetected for a very long time. And presumably, this isn't their first rodeo. Even if they've committed rapes in the past, they haven't been caught um, before because the DNA, when they ran it through CODIS, it had no hit. If that's the case, somebody that careful to involve themselves with someone like Keegan Klein, who is incredibly reckless, who takes a lot of risks, and who is not the sharpest tool in the box it doesn't feel like it makes the hugest amount of sense. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I think we're going to have to wait and see. But yes, basically, Richard Allen has been arrested. They searched his house, seemed to have left with a lot of things. Interesting things that happened after his arrest is they sealed the probable cause affidavit. Um, So we do not know uh, what the police have or what the prosecution have against him uh, that led him to be arrested um Mm -hmm. and today the day that we are recording this as we are recording this um there is of course the hearing for a judge to decide whether richard allen's probable cause affidavit will be made public or not my understanding is that his defense team are saying not only do they they're not even just saying we think our client should have bail they are saying that what is in the probable cause affidavit is not strong enough at all for an arrest and therefore they are they are basically saying that richard allen should be released today and all the charges should be dropped um when I read that, I was surprised, but it seems like, I don't know, if you were a defense attorney, would you make such a bombastic claim if it was completely out of nowhere? Because 
wouldn't it be a bit humiliating to say that for the judge to be like, what are you talking about? So I don't know. We don't know. No one knows. We'll have to wait and see. But I have a horrible feeling that as soon as we finish this record, we'll we'll maybe know some more information. Of course, yeah. And this will drop two weeks later. This is, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know. uh, so just so you know, when there's this new information about the case, we didn't have it yet. The, the yes. hearing, I think yeah. the hearing's happening literally right now. I think, yeah. mm-hmm. I think it started at 10, uh, 10 a.m. our time. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is right now, and Erica's only a few miles away from there. So I should have sent. Yeah. I should have mm-hmm. sent you on a remote. Yeah, and, uh, I know. Anytime I can do some reconnaissance. <laughs> go check it out. But yeah, this case is yeah. so, is so frustrating because I rem- remember when it happened, and they mm-hmm. shared the photo of who everybody calls Bridge Guy now, mm-hmm. and it was like and, and as the years went by, it's like how in the fuck have we we have the guy on video, and then we find out that there's you know there's more. I you know you mentioned the audio of, of the way he sounded confident where it says guys down the hill. Um, I don't believe personally, and, and everything's theory because they don't share anything with this case. Mm-hmm. I don't think those those two sets bursts of you know guys and then down the hill. I don't think those happen together. I no, think, we don't. Either. Yeah, yeah. My, there's a cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that most likely what's happening is. It's probably pretty horrific to hear if they're being mm-hmm. attacked. And so I think they tried to cut the pieces of the audio where you don't hear anything coming from Abby and Libby. And then they put those two spots together. Um, but yeah, it's so, it, you know, I, I have people t- want to talk about this case all the time with me. And it's, and it's, it's so easy to get down like a rabbit trail of speculation. But the bit, you know, like even like try, you know, one point I wanted to work up like let's let's try to do something, let's try to work up a profile on the case and get an idea who we're. We can't do that because we don't know nothing. Yeah, we don't know how they were killed. We don't know if they were sexually assaulted. We don't know what the crime scene looked like. We don't like we have no idea what. And and this is kind of in your your wheelhouse, Hannah, as a as a social anthropologist. We have mm-hmm. we have no idea of the behaviors that were exhibited. By yeah. the killer. We just know that there were behaviors. We know that there were three right. separate signatures at the scene and they just say signatures. Mm-hmm. We right. don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it as you, it is impossible to profile them. Um it's it's a trick it's a tricky game to play. I am not convinced it is just one person. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. but I'm basing that on the very little information that we have and there being multiple signatures at the scene and i don't think that would have that couldn't be the work of one person yeah see i disagree but only because i feel like this type of killer must have acted independently and if it was two people why would somebody not have given themselves up i don't know i feel like this type of killer typically at solo but again it's all just speculation and mm-hmm. the only other things we right. do know about the crime scene um is what came out of ron logan's um arrest uh, search warrant sorry a ron logan search warrant so ron logan was the man whose land abby and libby were found on mm-hmm. um because monon highbridge etc is part of like you know public land but the pri- the land they were found on was private property and they were found about uh, a thousand or so feet away from this guy ron logan's house and he was kind of the original suspect that everybody mm-hmm. sort of went mm-hmm. after they said that he didn't look and sound dissimilar from Bridge Guy. He sort of like did an interview the next day wearing clothes that looked like what Bridge Guy was wearing. But I was like, they're just blue jeans and a blue jacket. Right. And also, when we saw the search warrant that the FBI put together in order to um, search his property, which they did do very thoroughly, um, 
we found out that there was a lot of blood lost by both of the girls mm-hmm. at the scene, mm-hmm. which would have meant that the perpetrator would have been caked in blood. So it's very unlikely that he would have been wearing the same exact outfit the next day to do a media interview. Um, but I guess what made Ron Logan look suspicious was the fact that he asked for an alibi um, at the same time that the girls were being murdered. And lots of people mm-hmm. report that very widely, but mm-hmm. hardly anybody goes back to report the fact that it's because he had um, he had, uh, he had a driving ban for drunk driving right. and he had driven himself to the tip that day and that's why he had asked for this um right. asked for this alibi um it kind of feels like no other case that hannah and i have covered that feels more like a kind of um drama series like a yeah. 10 part sky drama like i think <laughs> i watched like mayor of east town and it's kind of it feels like that would be mayor of east town part two it's just mm-hmm. like a small now you think oh it's definitely ron logan because he you know they were found on his property and why did he ask for that alibi oh it's because of this oh then it's got to be the catfisher oh now it's somebody completely different who's mm-hmm. a guy who works yes it just feels like twist after twist after twist and i think you know it feels the exact same way as you do bob like how can we have two witnesses who allegedly saw him that day that gave those sketches video and the police have obviously 43 seconds we've just seen less of it audio everything and also a man who clearly seems comfortable in that area so either lives in that area now or did live in that area at some mm-hmm. point because i would you just go to a random hiking trail and be like i'm gonna abduct these two girls and have absolutely no idea where i'm going or who mm-hmm. i'm gonna run into like it just it doesn't make sense that he doesn't know that area right and i think i think it was just how can we not know who this person is so i'll be really interested to see what happens if and when this goes to trial and if and when we see what's in that probable cause affidavit yeah it would be nice to see if there was if there was dna or or what it was that Mm -hmm. that led to him but i you know from the little bits we know of the scene you know my my position has been as far as any kind of profiling just from what we the little bit that we know I, i i tend to think that it was one person acting alone although somebody else could have set it up i don't personally think Abby and Libby were targeted. I think that there was a plan to get whoever uh, was in that position, but the, but I'm not I'm not I'm not married to that that idea. I think that there was there had to have been a weapon involved to control. Yeah, you know, once I got on the other side of the bridge, you know, because they were a lot of people don't realize that you know when when they took that photo when he was walking walking across the bridge, they had already crossed the bridge. Abby and Libby were on land on the other side of the bridge and he was walking across the bridge towards them. So there was nothing stopping them from running through the woods to get away from him, but they didn't, which tells me that there's some kind of a weapon involved, you know, the audio that we're not hearing. I would almost assume that it was, that it was a gun, something, you know, if somebody holds up a knife, you still run away. Um, But, you know, so when he's saying, you know, down the hill, like I just picture somebody, you Mm -hmm. know, pointing a gun at them saying, all right, let's go down the hill. You know, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I think that it was planned. I think he planned to do this, maybe with those two particularly, most likely with anyone. Um, but I agree with you. I think somebody that knows the area, that's a, it, he set up a perfect ambush to mm-hmm. isolate people away where nobody could come running across. You can, you can look and see across the bridges. So I don't remember how many feet long the bridge, but it's a long bridge. it's like 1400 or something yeah it's like a quarter mile long so it's a perfect spot to ambush someone because you can it's not like it's a windy little trail where someone could come Mm -hmm. around the corner at any point and catch you you can look back for a quarter mile and see okay i'm in the clear no one's here and 
make the move and 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 then immediately he takes them down the hill away mm-hmm. out of sight so within seconds they go from standing out and as you said in broad daylight in the in a public place to within seconds now they're back out of sight even if somebody came across mm-hmm. the bridge they wouldn't see them anymore because they went down the hill if i remember correctly down the hill across then, the then creek, across yeah. the creek and then mm-hmm. into the woods on the other side of it where it just wasn't visible from anywhere that's uh, the thing mm-hmm. i think it's it's very very predatory behavior that he um shows like very like hunting behavior and right. i feel like it does feel like he lay a trap and one of the other witnesses who uh, gave the police the first sketch. She was a 16-year-old girl who was also on the trails that day. And she said that she ran into him and that he made her feel scared. And so you do wonder if he was just there to see. That's new information to me. So let's back up there. Because yes. I've always said that obviously there are witnesses because where the sketches come from, right. they didn't come from the picture. I didn't know when. Did I just miss that? That they actually we actually know who was, gave that? It was one of them. Was a girl who said, uh, who said, was it the first one or the second one? I believe it was the first one. The f- yeah. The f- she said she was 16. And then the second one, which looks a lot younger, was a couple. Right. And they were people on the trails that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they've been the identified. Yes. 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 I guess it's whether you think that the sketches have any purpose anymore or any meaning. And to be honest, and the interesting thing was, although they released the Justin Timberlake looking sketch years later, they actually had both of those sketches at the same time in February 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017? What year? Yeah. Was yes, yeah. in February 2017. Both of those uh, our witnesses were interviewed. Both of those sketches were present at the same time. And I think the police looked at them and thought, well, both of them look completely different. Let's make a call on which one we're going to release. And I think they released the one that looked more like the video footage. Mm-hmm. Why they then released the Justin Timberlake looking one years later, I, I don't know what that was based on. Right. Um, and to be honest, at this point, I kind of think that the sketches don't mean anything. Yeah. They were around for so long, they led to nothing. We have video footage of him. We have a, not a clear image, obviously, from the still, but I think that the sketches... The sketches obviously didn't lead to anything, right? right. And I think, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. but I wonder too. I was as we're talking about this. I remember like the day this all came out. Like I went and got in Photoshop and put together the photo of Richard Allen and the first sketch. And like I actually, I'm showing it to you on my phone right there. And I put them side, but like yeah. I yeah. could see that. I could see, yeah, you know, sure. take back five years, trim the goatee down, and put the hat on. Right. And I could see that because remember, it's it's not a photograph. It's a police sketch from someone trying to remember right. and describe pieces of it, but. The goatee, I mean, it's the the goatee for me is a th- thing, it, and it's kind of weird, but those aren't popular. Anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like in the nineties, there were in the nineties. If you showed a guy with a goat with a goatee, uh, facial hair, that would have been like, well, that's everyone that I know. I will, I will say, Bob, though, in small town Indiana, um, a goatee might still be a little bit more. Could in be, fashion. but see, I live in small town Michigan, just two hours away from there. And, and they kind of like, I know a few guys that have them, but they are, you know, they're still they're definitely less popular. Yeah. Yeah. They're still like yeah. working on their Camaro, you know, you know, it's, it's certainly, but you know, it's the fact that he's, that, he, that this guy still happens to have the same type of facial hair, mm-hmm. you know, it's similar enough. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm dying to know. I almost wanted before before we we're going to end this here in just a second because I want people to go listen to your guys' whole analysis. But I kind of want to 
look real quick and see if there's any updates <laughs> and do yeah. we just uh, talk amongst yourselves for just a yeah. second uh, well i was gonna say that i remember when this happened i had just moved to indiana about a year and a half beforehand and it was like such it was like a unseasonably warm day like i remember the exact day i was in grad school doing um forensics work at the time and so then we started a bunch of us started texting with our professors and our and our my co-students and um, we were all just, you know, live, like while things were still happening, we were kind of privy to the case. And it was and then when the news came out the next day that they had found the girls, it was just devastating to everybody. But then we all kind of assumed it's going to get solved super fast because they have yeah. all of this yeah. evidence. You know, it, you know, it'll be by the end of the year, there's going to have somebody. Right. And then it just kept year after year after year. It, it just kept dragging on and on. And that like anything with this case. I've learned to just not to not expect anything because oh, yes. like you, we've, every suspect has kind of been de- debunked and everything we think we know. Then we find out later that's not true. It's just with this case, you know, expect the unexpected, I guess, is where I'm at. So like with this new arrest, I'm still like hesitant. I'm still so like hesitant to be excited about it because yeah. you know we don't who, who knows what could happen and we, and we do have yeah. updates here so oh. um the hearing was over by nine o'clock this morning um i'll just read this is right from wthr news mm-hmm. um it says the judge said she will release an order at a future time during a hearing today uh, a bond hearing for richard allen is set for february 17th a january hearing was canceled and will be held at the same time as the february 17th hearing and the prosecutor said in court, there is reason to believe that Alan is not the only one involved in the killings of Libby and Abby. And there's somebody uh, named, uh, must be a reporter from this new news agency, Bob Seagal. Seagal. Um, his Twitter, he put out a few tweets here that says, uh, biggest news that came out of this morning's hearing about sealed records in the Delphi murder case is this statement by the prosecutor, quote, we believe Richard Allen is not the only actor involved in this, end quote. Um, and then another, in another tweet, he says, Andrew Baldwin, the defense attorney for Richard Allen says, quote, our client is the wrong guy. End quote. He says the sealed probable cause affidavit is flimsy. You expect more than what I saw. He said, uh, and I think that's all that's in there right now. Well, there's, well, there's more, but I'm not going to bore everybody by reading the whole thing. So <laughs> yeah, the hearing's over. sounds like the judge did not make a ruling on the, um, as of today. So hopefully by the time this airs, we're not way behind. Um, she heard the, the arguments, uh, as far as releasing the probable cause affidavit and bail, and she's going to make an order later. So we don't know what's going on, but, uh, super interesting is that the prosecutor, uh, as Hannah said, says that mm. they d- doesn't say that may not have been, it says the prosecutor does not believe that he was acting alone. Interesting. I think, yeah, there's so much about this case. Exactly like Erica said, nothing surprises me. Um, You're just like, every time you turn on the news for this, it feels like something that is completely contradictory Mm -hmm. or something new that's being Mm -hmm. thrown up. Um, There's also maybe some suggestions that the reason that they're keeping the probable cause affidavit sealed is if they suspect him of having been involved in other cases that they're now Mm -hmm. also looking into. Because like we said, he is, he's 50 um, it seems very unlikely that, that this is his first because he's never been convicted of anything. I right. think he has like two speeding tickets and like a seatbelt violation. Um, and either he's you're not your man and that makes sense or he is and he's got something else mm-hmm. underneath the 
the hood, other skeletons mm-hmm. in the closet. So lightning in I the don't bottle. know. Exactly. Lightning in the bottle. <laughs> and maybe, you know, maybe the Kegan Klein thing still sticks. Who who the hell knows? Who the That's what knows? I almost wonder. Like I I could yeah. almost see it with, you know, if if uh Libby was talking to one of the two men so that yeah. they knew that the girls were gonna be there that day. And so maybe, you know, Richard Allen showed up, found them said go down the hill I could believe that. I and could then believe he texted his buddy you know and like yeah like hey you know and there both, is a lot so then more. he came later yeah I don't, who knows yeah. because there is a lot more that we go into because like we said we did a two-parter on this it's well over it's probably about three hours worth of content over there if people want the full analysis but there's lots of information there about the kind of the marathon gas station and why was Kegan Klein there that day and also um people logging in and out of Kegan Klein's residence multiple uh logins on different devices speaking to libby that same day that they vanished so was it somebody else um was it richard allen was it somebody else completely i don't know i think uh it's just one all we can do is speculate in with such limited information but it is it is very very fascinating but also incredibly infuriating mm-hmm. that's right well their names are saruti and hannah and the podcast is called red-handed Check it out. Could be your next big true crime binge. And for sure, check out their two-part series on the Delphi case that just dropped about two weeks before you're hearing this episode. So, Rudy, Hannah, thank you both so much for joining me. It was great to meet you at uh, Obsessed Fest and talk to you today. And we're going to get to see each other again uh, next October at Obsessed Fest in Dallas, Absolutely. Texas. Go buy and your we tickets. Have, um, we have a Michigan show we um, on tour, so come to that too. Yes, when is that? Uh, it's it's a, it's in Royal Oak, and I can't remember, but it's um, March or April next year. Let yes. me know. I'll for sure yeah. be there. Definitely. Cool. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Erica. It was so nice to meet you guys. And yes, um, hopefully we can see you at the tour next year, and if not, at Obsessed Fest. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Bye. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Kelly Barron's Brink. Our production manager and co-host is Erica Cantor. Music and show artwork was created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com and episode artwork is created by John Hayes. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is truecrimebinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. Make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. And thank you so much for listening. And make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge. (laughs) 